Hello and welcome to Right Care Baptist. Today, Henry and I are again with Jeannie and Kim to talk about the ENM coding changes that took effect at the beginning of this year. Jeannie and Kim, welcome back to the program. Thanks, Jack. Thank you We're for having us. So, ladies, let me ask you a question. How's it going in the ENM, this new ENM coding world? What are, what are we finding? And teach us all something about it and follow up to the discussions we've had before. I think it's still kind of a struggle. Um, the providers, you know, um, getting them to understand that they can actually document less um, because, you know, it's always been you have to document so much um, for for so many years. But other than that, as far as the rules, like differential diagnoses or things that, you know, they're trying to rule out. Um, they tend to forget to um, put on the chart, which could help increase the level. And probably one of the other biggest one is like chronic conditions that the patient may not have come in today to see you for one of their chronic conditions. But the reason that you're seeing them and the plan of treatment that you're going to prescribe for the patient, you have to take their chronic conditions into consideration. And I think that that is just, you know, common sense to a provider. So sometimes they forget to put that in their documentation or link the chronic condition to the acute condition. Um, but sometimes that can make the difference, you know, in a three or a four level. So you talked about how doctors are not haven't really adjusted their behavior and are documenting less. Uh, I've definitely seen that on my side of things. You know, one of the things we've been looking at this year is trying to decrease the amount of time physicians are spending in notes and the amount that they are documenting. So we've been working on decreasing the length of documentation as one of our initiatives this year, and, and so far. You know, what I've seen in our provider data since January is essentially the length of notes have not changed. Is that what you're seeing, uh, Jeannie? And, and I've talked with several of the physicians and essentially they're, they're still documenting the exact same way they were last year. So essentially this new E&M e coding changes has not changed behavior at all. Is that what you're telling us? Yes. Which, which, you know, the, the, one of the main goals for this was to decrease that burden um on the physicians so you know it's just going to be a way to help them be okay and feel comfortable with that and is that is the reason you think they haven't started decreasing the amount is that they're just not comfortable with the changes yet and don't really know what's needed i think i've heard some of the different things i've heard is some providers have said, but I need to make sure that my note has everything in it in case the other phys another physician comes along and reads my note, or if I'm going to refer them to someone else. Um, Kim and I were on a call with nurse practitioners, and one of the things that they brought up was, well, I need to make sure everything is in my note for legal um, purposes. So I, I think they're just in the mindset of more is better, um, but but in their defense, that's what has been you know preached and and told for so many years. So I, I don't think that's something that's going to change quickly. 
it's just, but I do think it's a comfort level. We've also seen previously is that more is not better because we people would bring forward documentation. Since it's all in the electronic record, they bring forward information that was not really relevant. And that would really stymie what they were doing at this time because they might actually have put a body part back in. You know, it would have been a mistake by bringing forward something that they'd done surgery on in between times and then all of a sudden someone has an organ that's back in their body, for example, that had been removed six months prior. So, Karen, so Jeannie, let me ask a question then. What was so important when I was practicing in a group practice was to, in my note, information that one of my partners, if, if for some reason, you know, I became ill and provide that longitudinal care to the patient, or if, if, um, if for other, other reasons uh, the, the patient needed follow-up, I, I would have liked to have had in my note those important points uh, that would make it easy for someone to pick up that record and to move forward with that patient's care without having a, a breach or uh, anything to break up that, that continuity. How does that factor in, Jeannie? You mentioned that that was one of the considerations you had heard when you started reviewing notes. Does that factor in in any way to the length of notes or how we should be thinking about our notes? It does. Um, now keep in mind that each note is supposed to be pertinent to that uh, specific date of service, but everything for that patient is in their medical record. So like their past medical history, um, their past surgical history, family history, things like that is automatically in their note that can be pulled forward if someone would need to print the medical record or something like that. But what should be in your note, anything, now if you had to review a past surgery or something that happened two years ago to the patient for you to determine, um, your plan of care for what you're seeing the patient for that day, absolutely all of that should be in the medical record. Anything that you had to have or include in your thought process to determine that patient's diagnosis and to determine the best um, option of care for them for that specific reason should be in the note. For instance, if if your patient's coming in because they're complaining um, chest pain or shortness of breath, or maybe they think they had COVID, if they've broken their ankle three times um, in the past seven years, do you need to know that in order to you know to, um, evaluate them for shortness of breath or COVID symptoms? Well, the short answer is no. So, so those are the types of things um, that that I was, um, you know, that you know that you do not need to bring forward. Something that you would like, if the patient had, you know, um, COPD or um, you know coronary disease or things like that, then absolutely bring those forward because I'm sure you're going to 
look at that and take that into consideration um, based on the symptoms that the patient is having. But but you still wouldn't need to bring in everything um, from the previous record. Yeah, I, I definitely think we have a couple of different groups of people. We have one group that likes to keep every everything in each individual encounter note. So they want the running history of that patient's disease in every encounter note. And I see that a lot with oncology and I see that a lot with cardiology sometimes um, so that they don't have to go search through the chart in other places in order to find out uh, that they failed, uh, you know, this chemotherapy, you know, before and then they were tried at this uh, a second time. And so they like to keep that all in one spot. Um, I talked with a couple of oncologists that are looking for other areas within EPIC to add that, and, and those are certainly options. Um, and then we have another group of physicians that are just not quite comfortable yet with the regulation change to give up on their old habit, and, and inertia is pretty uh, hard to overcome, and they just stick with doing things the old way. And the other question I kind of had for you, and it has popped up a few times, is I've gotten this question from a number of providers that the level, the number of level five visits that they're able to, to bill for seems to have gone down since the change. Have you all noticed uh, changes in, in what's being allowed for, you know, level three, four, and five since January 1? I know that was a big uh, concern for a lot of our providers. And, um, and that, I actually had that conversation with um, oncologists last week because before uh, you could like the relationship between a chronic condition and an acute or something in their past history, um, it could be implied. But now the guidelines state that it must be stated. So even if I know diabetes will affect prednisone or something like that, I can't, I can't make that connection and make that chart a higher level unless the provider um, links them together, basically just stating due to the patient having diabetes, you know, they're at a higher risk to be on this medication. Um, and like I said, it's just things that as a provider, you know that you have to do those things and they just forget um, to put it in there. Like one of the physicians said to me, he said, so I guess my entire thought process, I need to document in my record. Perfect. Yes, that's exactly what you need to do. And it probably will increase the majority of his levels. Hmm. What sort of denials have you been seeing since we've changed from January uh, to the new EM coding standards? No, no new denials from insurance. Okay, that's good to know. I can well, tell you the majority of the charts that coding reviews that the providers do not drop on their own. The majority of them, we have to upcode them. Oh yeah, that you told me that the other day, that was a surprising statistic. So you review like 10% of all provider charts, is that right? Correct. And then what percentage are you um, changing to a higher level of code? Well, it's a 90% change in one way or the other. But um, in, at the end of January and in February, when I looked, um, it was about 50, anywhere between 50 to 60%, we were um, moving up at least one level. 
I think that's because that's one pretty, thing I have yeah. noticed is I think a level three is the comfort zone okay. for providers. And that's that's still pretty remarkable. So you're reviewing only 10% of notes, but you're changing the coding either up or down 90% of the time. Yes. Wow. And then 60% of the time they there could have been billed at a higher level. That means if you're only reviewing 10% of the notes. You know, there's another 90% of notes out there, the, the large majority that uh, probably should have been adjusted. Correct. And what to, that tells me is the physicians who are concerned because they're not getting as many fives probably ought to reach out to coding because they may be, they're probably undercoding their information if they're dropping their own charges. Now, right. Now, keep in mind, every time a level is changed, the coder sends you know sends an email to the provider and and lets them know that because normally BNG policy was they would let the provider know if it was a two level change, but starting in January, every change, one level, up or down, all of that feedback is going back to the providers and it tells them why. So, if they're reading those and checking that. That's going to give them the education, and then there's a weekly email that goes out. So, Jeannie, let me ask you a question then. I mean, back, back in the day, we, we knew just a rough uh, distribution of three, two, three, four, fives that you would see for E&Ms, and the, the, the rumor or the, the deal was that if your distribution was skewed in one way or another, then that might prompt uh, a review of your your bills that you've dropped. Uh, two, you don't code high enough. You're on this end. You code too high on that end. So distribution then was what I think others were using to determine: Are you are you uh, in the crosshairs for uh, an investigation of your charges? Has that distribution changed with this new ENM? Well, let me back up. Did you ever feel like that was one of the rationales for calling on a practice to review their coding methodology and maybe do a clawback or perhaps um, uh, institute a penalty? Did you feel like that was a, a methodology by which others viewed your distribution of uh, EM coding? Now, I think. That was um, like a benchmark, so like a starting point, but to kind of see where most people in a certain specialty should, you know, should be. But if the medical necessity and documentation is in your chart to support your level, then you do not have anything to be concerned about. Um, so, I mean, everyone's not going to have the exact same distribution. And a lot of time, like those bell curves is, is like based on specialty. It's not like every specialty in this exact same area. Um, so everything's going to be different. Now, if your curve, you know, starts at the bottom and goes straight up and you have more fives than anything else, you know, then that, of course, is going to throw up a flag. But, um, you know, just think about the way I think about it is family practice. Think about the patients that you see. Would the majority of the patients be a level five? No. Would the majority of the patients be a level two? No. Um, 
normally in the past, it would be, you know, between a three and a four. But really with the new guidelines, our fours should be higher than three. Because again, I always go back to think about the patient that has hypertension, that you're giving medication refills every three months. They're stable, but their blood pressure still isn't where you feel that it should be. So as long as you state the blood pressure stable but not at goal and give a prescription, you're level four. So the benchmarking then, it sounds to me like, Jeannie, you're saying the benchmarking may have moved up a little bit, tilting perhaps a little bit more toward fours. Because it was fairly rich around threes, as I recall, and fours uh, were a little, um, there, was a, there was a bit of a, a gap between going from a three to a four. It sounds to me like you're saying that if it's properly captured, that the benchmarking may be shifting a little more toward a four, if I'm, if I'm hearing you correctly. Correct. And even when, you know, this first came out, CMS had stated that they thought with the new changes that they would see a shift to the right hmm. for family practice. They were very comfortable and they actually increased, they estimated it was going to make like a 14% increase overall yeah, for family practice. And some of the specialties would take a hit because the ones who were had mostly fours and fives there was some debate by government that they should, this would actually push them down to more threes and fours. Have y'all been able to ascertain whether that has occurred yet or is it still too early? Probably till, still till, uh, just a little bit too early. We've got to get a lot. That's all going to do a lot of number crunching to figure that one out. Yeah. And what about the time-based billing? Have we seen much of that at all? Certain specialties. Um, are using it and and I did notice um, that at first for a few weeks some providers were putting time on everything um, because then you know you could just whichever's the highest <laughs> so we had to tell them you know do not do that because sometimes it could could hurt them because you know let's just say they put that they spent 10 minutes with the um, patient, which would be a lower level, but the medical decision-making scored out to a level four. Of course, we could build a level four, but when you're doing the time-based thing, you're just, you're really putting yourself at a high risk of auditing. But on the other side of that, there's absolutely time when you should use time on your charts. If you're having to spend, if a patient has a lot of questions about their treatment um, and you're having to spend a lot of time explaining it to them, um, then you should feel based on time. And you mentioned certain specialties are doing it more than others. Which specialties are you saying doing it the best? Endocrine um, is doing it probably more than anyone else. And oncology, um, some, but but there's more times in oncology that they should um, use it more than than what they are. But time-based coding it should be used when it's necessary. So you just have to make sure that when you're using the time-based, it is because you really are spending a lot of time um, 
going over the medical care and, and everything with the patient answering questions and not just so that you can get your E&M levels uh, to have more level five. Because the medical necessity still has to be there, whether you use medical decision-making or time. Okay. Well, I know that both both you and, and Kim are, are going to be helping me with a project over the next uh, several months really to kind of work individually work with some providers with to adjust their template their and um, make them more in line with the new e &M coding regulations. So uh, hopefully that'll make us move in a, in a better direction and get you know, more of the providers up, up to date with the new standards. Terry and Mike are more comfortable as we work closely. And Jeannie's done such a good job of working one-on-one -on -one with several, most of the practices because it really does help to have someone who's sitting there that you can ask questions to other than just online training and FAQs that are given to you. Sometimes you just need to be able to ask it as it pops into your head. And we do have, we have had more providers um, reach out with questions. Um, I would like to see many, many more do that, but, but the ones that actually do reach out and ask questions, um, then we do see a, a change, you know, in their levels and, and wording that they put in their documentation. So, um, and I always tell the providers, you know, make sure you look at what the coders are changing. If you do not agree, then speak up and, and, you know, and just say, I do not agree that this should be a level four or a level three, because then that opens up a conversation that could change many other charts. Well, thank you both so much for, for coming on. Um, and hopefully we will all have a better grasp of this over the next couple of months and, and everybody get a little bit more comfortable. Any last words for the medical staff? Just keep driving in the right remember. direction. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Remember to do, you were wanting to uh, get your brain, your, your medical, uh, what you're thinking. And once you get that down and get used to it, other than just keeping it in your brain, then it will become such a much easier process. So I think that's a very helpful takeaway, Kim. So what what is in your mind uh, and moving you quickly through how best to treat or manage this patient needs to be captured in the medical record, and it can no longer live uh, in your brain. You've got to get that down in the in the record. Yeah, and and that that protects you legally. Make it a continual process and. There's no questions about what you were thinking. It's very helpful. Thank you. Well, thank you both again. And thank you, everybody, for listening to Right Care at Baptist. And remember to check the link in the show notes for the survey for your CME credit. Thank you.